So last week, uh, well, let me just say this. We don't necessarily follow a liturgical calendar in what we do here at Border City Church. We're not against those things whatsoever, uh, but because it's not actually mandated by Scripture, we don't assume that we have to follow anything that isn't mandated by Scripture. So having said that, is uh, like a liturgical calendar in December, for example, the Advent season, is it like some kind of a, you know, if you're really led by the Spirit, you're not going to follow Advent? No, no, no. We're, we're fine, you know, for those of you for those who feel to follow that and to observe it, that's fine. Um, we, don't, we don't assume that. However, having said that, last week, the theme in some traditions of Christianity for Advent would have been the prophets, which uh, prophesying of the coming of the Messiah, and um, uh, I can't remember what the, in fact, I might have, hope. And last week, we just happened to teach on prophecy. <laughs> we didn't really mean to, to make it that way, but that, and, and prophecy, as some of you received prophetic input from Chanel, gives us hope. It, it, it paints a picture and, and sparks a fi- fire inside of us of what God is, is willing for our lives. And it paints a picture of hope. And so it just so happened that I had in my heart to teach on this thing of Luke chapter 2 where the angels appear to the shepherds, you know, the story, and, and they say, on earth, peace and goodwill. And I already had it in my heart. And then I found out that according to the tradition in Advent, that the theme would be angels and peace. So, our liturgical calendar is lining up with, you know, with, with heaven. We're, we're, we're doing it anyway. So, if you'll open up with me, Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at that portion of Scripture, and specifically, we're going to talk about this issue of peace and uh, on a very practical level. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, in other words, many other angels, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. So, we have a context here of angelic visitation revealing something out of heaven to shepherds nonetheless. I love the fact that God revealed himself to magi. If you don't remember what magi are, these are people who were like astrologers. They didn't even worship Jehovah, they didn't necessarily even know of Jehovah. They were are what we would consider today like spiritualists, more or less. And God chooses, rather than revealing himself to the high priest, he reveals himself to the magi. And then he, instead of revealing himself to the, you know, the, the, those who had it all together and the good church people, he comes to shepherds who probably stunk of sheep poop out in the field. And he chooses to make his 
will known. He reveals a heavenly reality, a heavenly reality that we just saw. They saw the heavens open up. They saw a host of angels revealing an important and very simple message. Glory to God in the highest. That's what's going on up there. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. So let me give you the context of Jesus, because this is the announcement of the coming of Jesus, the Son of God. And let's remember the context that we have here. From the fall, because that gives us the context. God created everything in seven days. Man was there. Everything was good. It says when they created man, it was, God said it was very good to, to emphasize his love for us. Things were cool. And then one little instruction, the serpent comes to Eve, causes her to believe that perhaps God really doesn't have your best interests. They take the bait, eat the, you all think it's an apple, I don't know, it's a fruit on a tree. Could be a lemon, exactly. But in fact, it was a lemon. Maybe not a literal lemon, but it sure was a lemon. They ate the fruit, whatever it was, off of a tree, and in the disobedience, sin enters into the earth the most destructive thing, and from that moment, we have the beginnings of not only the good that we had in the world, but the evil. And so you and I have known from the, from the beginning of our lives a world that has good. We've got the beautiful sunsets. We've got the times, the intimate moments with people that we love, but we also have evil. And there are people who have been raped in the city, even last night. There are people who, if I were to look at the Detroit news, inevitably I'm going to find out another person, a boy who was shot by the husband's girlfriend or whatever, the, or the boyfriend's girlfriend. Or, you see what I'm saying? There is evil in this earth. There is evil, there is a sin nature, and that's what's driving much of the evil in the earth. We have a sin nature. There's pain, there's strife. Not only strife between people, but a life of striving, trying to make it work, trying to figure this thing out, living under the stress of feeling like I've got to make this thing work for me. I've got to take care of myself. There's sickness. There's poverty. None of these things existed prior to the fall. Ultimately, there's a disrupted spiritual connection between man and people. Now, that's what happened at the fall when the angels appeared to these shepherds Jesus is coming into the earth. That's the context. He's coming because sin has done horrible things to the ones that God had described as being very good. And sin was the problem, and somebody needed to pay the penalty for that problem. Jesus came as a man to pay what had to be paid by a man. He came as a man to pay that penalty. And the revelation that came in that moment, the heart of God in sending Jesus is this. The heart of God towards us in sending Jesus was peace on earth towards men, peace. In other words, this world that is stricken with sin. Jesus on a cross, Jesus raising from the dead isn't going to end all of that in the earth. Am I right? Do we still have sin in the earth? How many of you have still sinned recently? No, don't put your hand up. But every single hand should be going up. There's still sin nature. It's not to say that Jesus ended all that. He broke open 
the way for that which was in heaven and not accessible to the people on earth, He made open by His coming heaven whereby we can access a peace that transcends the things of this earth. The heart of God in sending Jesus was peace and goodwill towards men. In other words, His good intentions. His desire to bring blessing. So look with me, if you would, back at verse 13 and 14. We're going to we're going to read that again. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. That's the first revelation. That in the coming of Jesus, the whole orientation of Jesus coming into the earth, the purpose was twofold. One was stuff going on up in heaven. Two was stuff going down here in the earth. And up in heaven, what's the issue of Jesus coming into the earth? It's to reveal glory being given to God in the highest. In other words, what God had done in sending Jesus is resulting in crazy praise happening because of its being the ultimate expression of God's goodness and his love. But then what about on earth? Peace and goodwill towards men. So let's talk about peace. What is peace? First of all, in the New Testament, when we read the word peace, it's, it's translated into English as peace. The original Greek word used there is a word irene. And the meaning of that word is peace because of prosperity. Now, what does that even mean? Does that, does that mean uh, that we have peace because if we trust in Jesus, our bank accounts are going to be overflowing with endless funds? Is that the idea? No, peace because of prosperity. What, what, is that saying that our peace is tied to actual physical circumstances in the earth of prosperity, this word irene, peace because of prosperity, is actually saying that we have peace not because we see the prosperity necessarily, but because we know the one in us has everything that we will ever, ever need. And because of that, we don't have to worry anymore. Physical circumstances will present themselves that offer an opportunity, maybe even daily, to worry. But we don't have to worry anymore as our faith is rooted in this one that God has sent, Jesus, because he has everything and we, and we are prosperous. And because we are prosperous, we live in a place of peace. I don't need what you want. I mean, excuse me, what you have. I'm not trying to get something from you. Which is, by the way, the opposite of prosperity, of course, is poverty. And that's a sign of poverty is constantly looking, what does this person have? What can I get from them? That's poverty. Do you know that? For those of you who don't want to live in poverty, stop that. This world, to break a spirit of poverty is to think about, I am blessed to be a blessing. The antidote to poverty. But peace because of prosperity. So my son had a, uh, a just to illustrate this, uh, this idea, my son had a uh, friend who went to his school last year. He's one year older than, than him. Peter's in eighth grade, so this guy was in eighth grade last year at the school. And um, whenever there was some kind of a competition of any sort, they do lots of chess games and card games at, at their school for fun. And so whenever there was any kind of a competitive something, and this guy... Uh, lost at it, inevitably he would always have some kind of an excuse. I mean, it could be like the most outlandish 
crazy, but he could not lose and not have to like say an excuse to invalidate the victory of the other party. And so uh, my, one of my son's other friends, Ethan, eventually caught on to this pattern. I'm not going to mention the kid's name because this is going to be on recording. But eventually caught on to the pattern that this guy was such a sore loser that eventually he began to, to uh, mention him being salty. I don't know if that's an expression you're familiar with. And he would say, so, salty as ever, I see, whenever he was like pouting and, and doing his whole sore loser thing. And then in the same grade, also a year older than my son, was another friend. His name is Tyler. I'll mention him by name. And uh, Tyler is like the king of all board games. And the king of all, he's, he's brilliant, actually. He's like 14 going on 35 right now. He's, he, he prefers hanging out with adults to kids. He's such an impressive young man. And uh, he, he can play some board games and card games like no other. And whenever he would lose, his response to losing was to extend a hand and to be sincerely happy for the other person in having a good victory. The one is in the opposite of this idea of peace. It's I need, I need to be the winner. If I'm not the winner, I'm, then I've, I've, got to, I've got to shoot you down so that I can somehow be the winner. And the other one is, hey, I've got nothing to prove. I'm, I'm good at this. I lose some, I'm going to win some. I'm happy for you. Peace because of prosperity. That's the idea. What's the point? You can be at peace as you follow the one who will take care of you. Yeah. On earth, peace towards men. we got to understand the concept of peace that he's given us is that we, before Jesus came, you needed to not be at peace because you didn't have a connection with your Savior. I mean, I know the Israelites had promises given to them, but us Gentiles, for those of you who aren't Jewish by birth, we were without covenant, without relationship to God. And Jesus came, it says, to all people, good tidings to all people, Jew, Gentile alike, male, female, Greek, Scythian, everybody, came to all people that we could have peace. It is ours, but it's a, it's a journey of faith, not of circumstances. Now, his lordship produces peace. We have to understand this. This is where we have gotten Christianity so wrong. I don't even like to use the word Christianity. And you may wonder why. Because Christianity has become about a tradition, a, a form, a religion. And we're talking about relationship with, the, with God through the Son of God. We're talking about being spiritually reborn. It's not just a religion that we have or a moral code or something like that. And, and here's what we've gotten wrong so oftentimes is that we see Christianity all about Jesus being Savior, that he wants to save us, that because of his sacrifice, we're, his, his blood atones for our sins, and that, and that when I hit hard times, I'm going to just call on Jesus. Do you know how Jesus actually saves you? When you confess that he is Lord. Do you know how Jesus leads you into his good purposes for you? When you follow him. Which is to say we can't be going this way, Jesus is going this way, but because he's our Savior, we're going to call on him for help as we go about not following him. The whole context of the kingdom of heaven is that there is a king. And everything in the heaven operates under the dominion of that king. 
In other words, if I want to live in the, in, in the things of heaven, I bend my knee to his dominion. My life is no longer mine, it's his. And it's his leadership in our lives that produces peace. As I'm following him, I can be at peace because I know I'm not taking care of myself. He's taking care of me. It's your bill now, Jesus. I'm stepping out and following you in faith. It's not my concern. It's yours. That's not arrogant. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. And I can live at peace even if I don't see that promise fulfilled yet. I can live at peace because I know him. And so his lordship, leadership produces peace. I'm going to just nail through a couple scriptures to reinforce this most important concept. Psalms 23, this verse 1. We all know it. We're not going to read the whole Psalms 23, but just that opening line. The Lord. Can you say that with me? The Lord. Not the Savior. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want And that means two things. I'm not going to go without as long as the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to go without, but I also don't have to want. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to want in the sense of not having enough, but neither do I have to live a life wanting. I'm at peace. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Are you you following the connection here? This isn't some ooey-gooey message about how, oh, peace, peace, peace. No, it's follow Jesus. Verse 11, if you'll go with, back with me, Luke chapter uh, 2 that we just read. Look with me at verse 11 real quick. Rather important message from the angel. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Thank you. How does Jesus become your Savior? When you confess him as, and when you relate to him, it's not just saying you're Lord, it's a heart surrender to his lordship. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, the, his role as Savior is directly connected to the fact that he is Lord. His lordship is what saves. And, um, you know, if I were in a ditch, uh, let's say. I fell into a long, big hole in the ground. And uh, I know I'm tall, but let's say this ditch was such that I could not get out myself. It, it surpassed my natural talents and abilities and height. And uh, so there I am down at the bottom of this ditch. And what am I going to do if I'm not able to get out? I'm, <laughs> what's that? Marilyn says, call on the Lord. Lift me now, Jesus. So, so yes, I, I may call on the Lord, but I, in fact, I know I will, but I'll also call out to some human beings around, like, help! And if somebody comes to the edge of that ditch and they have the ability to leverage their being up on the solid ground to reach down, extend their hand, or maybe extend a stick or whatever it is, to leverage their stable place to pull me up, Is it okay for me to stay at the bottom of that ditch and say, thank you? It doesn't do anything, does it? And I'll say most of the church loves to spend time worshiping and thanking God, and he's got the stick, and he's saying, okay, take it. In other words, what am I saying? In order to receive his benevolent help 
to save us. You have to submit yourself by receiving the help that he's extending and follow him. And it's when I actually grab onto his hand or grab onto that stick or whatever it is and allow him to pull me. In other words, when I submit to his lordship, that's when he can actually do what he always wanted to do. It's our stubborn rebellion that got the problem in the first place. It's our stubborn rebellion that keeps us from being in a place of provision and peace, goodwill and peace towards men. So, if you still don't believe me, Isaiah chapter 9. It's nice to be, this is a prophetic messianic prophecy telling uh, literally Isaiah living roughly a thousand years, about 800 years before Christ, prophesying specifically of the coming, knowing nothing of the Bible story of Jesus' birth and the nativity scene that you and I grew up knowing. Isaiah didn't know any of this. Listen to these words that he says uh, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That's important. Say government. I'm not talking about his role as savior here, although he is most certainly a savior, thank you God. But he's a, he's a leader of government. We'll talk about that in a second. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Now, let me clarify, Jesus' name isn't Jesus, but also kind of like wonderful. His name, what the Hebrew language there is, is suggesting, is that he will be known by. His identity will be this, wonderful. How many of you are happy that Jesus is wonderful? Yes. This is important. To, to verify and to know this is who my Savior is. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. He's mighty God. Everlasting Father. If you wonder what the heck does that mean, it actually means he is the paternal, he is the, the one of, he is the Father over eternity is really what that language is suggesting. He's the only one that all of time and existence, all stems like a father comes from him. <laughs> He's the everlasting father, prince of peace. His leadership as prince is what produces peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now when we say government, do we, are we talking about Jesus being elected our mayor, we've got Mr. Duggan for that at the moment. What we're talking about is, as we said recently, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when Peter finished the presentation of the first gospel message ever preached, and he concluded it all, summed the whole thing up with an idea of who Jesus is. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know this assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. In other words, God is the one upon whom all government, leadership, dominion, rule, that's what it's talking about, not necessarily your elected representative. It's dominion and rule. God has had it all, and he has conferred all of that upon Jesus, his son, and said, you are Lord. 
And the government, the rule and dominion of everything I have created is now on your shoulders. And of the increase of that government and peace, there will be no end. In other words, what we're saying is that his leadership, his rule and his dominion produces peace. See, we don't like, especially as Americans, we don't like this idea of submission. Even the word submission. Some of you are skin crawling. <laughs> Submit. Leadership. Authority. Ugh. That's American, not kingdom. And as wonderful as our history is, and as tyrannical as the evil King George was, and we had to rebel and all of that, and I believe God used all that, it has produced a culture in our society who are way more focused on our rights rather than being able to come into a position of yielding at all. And we want a God who is going to conform to our rights when in fact our rights are found in his son. Submit to the king and you'll have everything that you need. That's the message of the gospel. That's the peace of the kingdom of heaven. And you can only do that when you understand he loves you and he's got power. We'll talk about that at the Easter. <laughs> and Good Friday. And every day in between now and then, actually. So what now? Let's bring this to, a, to practical. What do we do? First, I would say uh, recognize and return. I'm going to be a little cheesy and have, give you two R's. Recognize and return. Recognize this is that when you and I aren't in a place of peace, when our soul is conflicted, it is rooted in some internal belief system that says God won't take care of me. Okay? Number two, recognize, is that that same idea, a voice inside of us that may not come with a pitchfork and say, I am Satan, I'm talking to you. It comes in very subtle thoughts that seem very compelling and very believable. And before we know hook, line, sinker, we are believing it in our hearts. And it's saying that his leadership won't lead me to a good, peaceful place. The very opposite of what the angels proclaimed at his coming, that on earth towards men, good and peace and goodwill. And so we, our, our worry, our lack of peace stems from that. And I want us to make a confession right here, right now, in this moment. Are you ready? Let's return to our Lord and our King in trust. And let's say this out loud. God will take care of me. God will take care of me. Let's say this. Jesus' Lordship will lead to a good, peaceful place. Now, bury those truths in your heart. He is going to take care of you. And don't let circumstances harass you because they're lies. They're lies that affront the truth that God is more powerful. Jesus is full of love towards you. You can't even measure his love. He went to a cross that was the best that he could do, gave it everything for you when you didn't deserve it. And he has power and that he came out of the grave and couldn't even be held down by death. The one that you're submitting to loves you and he's got all power over everything that you and I face. That's the reality. So return to this one. And then how can we walk in, in, in peace? How can we walk in it? I believe there's one particular scripture that's meant so much to me and that I want to share with you. 
uh, to empower us to actually walk in this place of peace on a daily basis. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Share that scripture, and then we're going to share a story about it, and then we're going to confess it again. So Philippians 4, 6 and 7, I love this. Paul says to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing. Did you hear that? There is no wiggle room left in this biblical instruction. Be anxious for no thing. But in everything, which also leaves no wiggle room, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It must have been around 2005, living in a tiny town called Dublin, Georgia. My older son, my oldest son, was in diapers, probably about one year old. And I was being trained in ministry, and I was working in uh, mortgage lending at the time, which was how I first got involved in the real estate industry, and uh, which was 100% commission. And there are moments of highs and moments of lows and such things. And I happened to hit, after he was born, a moment of low. And it seemed like my pipeline was, pipeline is a term we use, talk about the number of deals that we have that are moving towards a close. My pipeline was getting empty. And, uh, and I'm, I'm now 27 years old or something, and I've got this boy, and he's my responsibility. How many of you are parents? And you, you know that feeling of you have this child, and when you see them, they're yours. Like, I'm, like I don't have mommy and daddy anymore. To, like, like, I am mommy and daddy. I'm, I'm responsible for this child. And, and the sense of responsibility, perhaps especially as a father, uh, you know, it's it just is something that you, you have, and my pipeline is running low, and this one deal that I have, it looks like it's about to fall apart. And, like, I've got no income that in the foreseeable future, and it, it, it was freaking me out. And I just was sitting there at my desk, and my heart was sinking into a deep abyss. And it was a very dark place. And, uh, and where a lot of the people I was working with were from the church, and, you know, it's a Christian environment. I, I, I just felt like, you know, oftentimes they would have, like, praise music playing in the, in the background. It's another, anyways, I could tell you more about, anyway. <laughs> I did not feel it. And uh, honestly, I mean, I was just feeling sickened and facing my wife because we've got diapers to, to, to buy and like all the scenarios of what's going to happen, the, the inevitable, horrible things that are happening, what, how are we going to face the next couple of months? And finally I get up and I go to the boardroom and I know that the boardroom is probably going to be the one place in the office that I can go and no one's going to be using it. And I, I begin to just pray. I begin to walk around the, the boardroom table desk or whatever you call it, table, and, uh, and, and just began to pray. And as I did, this scripture started to come up in my spirit. Be anxious for nothing. And so as I was pacing back and forth, I began to pray this scripture out and uh, be anxious for nothing. And so I, I acknowledged to God, God, you've told me to be anxious for nothing. And so I am choosing, I repent for being anxious. Now, let, me, let me clarify what I mean by repent. 
I'm not saying I groveled in my own self-pity of God, I'm so horrible, and can you somehow forgive me? No. God's not judging me for, for being anxious. You understand? But I have to, what does repent actually mean? It just simply means you turn from one thing, realizing that that's the wrong way, this is the right way. Whether I felt the ability to not be anxious was immaterial. I chose I'm not receiving anxiety. I'm, so I, I repent for anxiety. Still feeling it. I'm not going to be anxious. You said, God, to be anxious for nothing. And so I'm choosing to not be anxious. And then I went on. But by everything, with prayer and supplication. Everybody know what supplication actually means? It's where we get the word supply. In other words, being su- supplicated, give, receiving the supply. So you're praying and you're asking for the supply that you need. And so instead of being anxious... Everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And so I began to just make my requests known to God. God, I need deals. My pipeline is empty. Like, I, I need to have a talk with you. Let's have a come to Jesus moment now. You and me, God. I, like, I, I, I've got nothing and I've got this son. And he is the, my, my pride and my joy. And it, it kills me if I'm not providing for them. And so I need deals. And I need help. And so I just began to make my request known. But it said, with thanksgiving. Now, let me tell you something. I did not feel like offering thanksgiving. Why would I give thanksgiving when all I have is need and no supply yet? You want to walk in peace? You thank him before you receive it. That is not just like building yourself up and hyping yourself up. That is reality, because the reality of the promises of God are yes and amen. Yeah. They, they, what, what God promising to provide for us is surefire, always going to be true, but there is a role that I have to play in thanking him. So I began to make my request known, but I thanked him. And you know what I began to do? As I was thanking him, I began to rehearse all the things that he had done for me. I began to rehearse whatever I could be thankful for. Thank you, Lord, that I have this son. Thank you, Lord, that I've got this wife. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me. Thank you, Lord, that you brought me to this place and to this church. Thank you that you've given me a call. As I began to thank him for all these things that I knew that he had done in my life, my faith began to build. I began to remember the fingerprint of God on my life. I began to remember the things that he has put in my heart to do in this time. My circumstances began to be put into the context of the bigger picture of God's call on my life, and I began to realize this is a molehill versus the mountain of the one who's with me. And what happened as a result of that was that the peace of God that passes understanding Now, we normally don't use that terminology. What does that mean? It means that I've got my understanding that's rooted in what I see in this earth. It's my understanding. And I have a very limited understanding based on what I see. And then there's God who has a heavenly perspective. He's looking at all things through the sieve of his reality that with God all things are possible. And there's a peace that comes from him that passes my understanding. And the peace of God that passes understanding, in other words, the circumstances hadn't yet changed. I still had a virtually empty pipeline. I still had the one deal that I was clinging onto that looked like it was falling apart. Nothing had changed. All that changed was I went into a boardroom and started rehearsing the scripture and talking to God about it. 
But the peace of God that passes all that natural information started to guard my heart and, and what does it say? Guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. As I began to pray these things and thank God, I began to be, get creative ideas on how to address the problems in this deal. And then I began to get creative ideas on all these other deals that I had thought were dead. I started getting ideas on how to make that work and talk to this person and shift this around and I could probably make that one work and boom, boom, boom. I started getting creative ideas. You know why? Creativity is killed by anxiety. And when you live in the peace of God that passes understanding, your ability to walk in the blessing of your Savior begins to explode within you. And you know what happened as a result when I went back to my desk? I don't remember. But I do know this. It must have been good. Because whatever all those scenarios that I was thinking of imminent death and destruction and bankruptcy, none of that happened. Paid rent. Paid my responsibilities. Well, yeah, getting his diapers. All I, he, I mean, well, I, I mean, <laughs> yes, he got diapers. The point being is, it was all okay. God was with me. This is important when you're facing things that bring anxiety. God's peace comes when you apply God's ways. And we'll just end it here, just this last point that I, I want to make sure that we understand. Jesus is our Savior, and we know that he's our Savior, and his, his salvation, both eternal salvation so that we go to heaven, but his salvation when I, I'm running out of deals in my pipeline, his practical salvation in this life, all of his salvation is, comes in the context of him being Lord of me, and that some of that has always necessitated participation not just of me calling on him, but participating with action here on this earth. In other words, it's not just about calling out into God. Sometimes God needs us to actually take this scripture of Philippians 4 and begin to rehearse it. Does that make sense? Like take action, do something with it. And so when God needed, let's just rehearse some of this throughout the annals of God's history with his people. When God needed someone to take care of the world and to actually tend it and subdue it and take dominion over it, what did he do? He created Adam to actually do it for him on his behalf. When God needed to build an ark to save all of creation, did he just, voila, here's an ark? He spoke to Noah. And Noah had to do some crazy things in obedience to do that. When God needed to create a lineage of his own people in the earth, did he just cause Jesus to be born or some person? Or he spoke to a man named Abram. Yeah, Abraham. That we know as Abraham. And, and Abram had to actually believe. Noah actually had to build. Adam had to actually subdue. When God wanted to deliver his people from captivity in Egypt, he could have just done it himself sovereignly, right? But he spoke to Moses, and Moses had to actually confront Pharaoh and actually lead the people. And when God needed to remove a giant, Goliath, from taunting his people, which he could have done, he could have just caused Goliath to fall down to demonstrate his sovereign power, but it necessitated that David actually walk to that giant with some stones and a sling, right? Are you seeing a pattern here? When God needed to save the world, he could have just 
done something. But he had to send a person called Jesus. He had to become a man and do something. And so what I'm saying is that this thing of heaven coming into the earth requires somebody on the earth participating with the lordship of Jesus, with faith here on the earth, and actually confronting things. And what I'm saying to you and to me is that when we face things that are bringing anything other than peace, you have a responsibility in that matter to do something. And it's, it's to do this thing that we just rehearsed in uh, Philippians chapter 4. So can we practice that right now? Can you stand with me? We're just going to close. I want to ask you and I, consider, is there anything that has brought a lack of peace or anxiety into your heart in this season of your life? And I want us all, I'm going to invite all of us to go through this scripture together right in this moment. And this is something that you can do throughout this week, throughout this month, through the rest of your life. Take that thing right now before God, and I want you to acknowledge to Him. You don't have to say it out loud. You can whisper it. You can do whatever. The scripture says, be anxious for nothing. And so I just ask you to rehearse before Him right now. You repent. You turn from being anxious in this area. You you receive his command. You obey his command to be anxious for nothing. Lord, we, we turn from anxiety. We turn from these thoughts that are, and feelings that are, and even the, the, the ideas stemming from circumstances. We turn from them and choose and declare we will not be anxious because you have not given us anxiety, so therefore we reject anxiety. And you said, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I just invite you right now to pray, to let your requests be made known. What is the thing that you actually need? Pray, supplicate. We don't have a lot of time to spend on it here, but begin to thank him. Thank him. Thank him for the faithfulness that he has shown you in the past. Thank him for the fact that he is going to be faithful. So we ask you, Lord, we make our request known to you right now. We put a name on the request. We identify what it is that we need. We are asking you for it. You know our needs. You know our needs better than than we do. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We lift up our thanks to you right now. You are good. Thank you that you sent Jesus when we didn't deserve it. You have shown us that you are so faithful and that you're so loving. We thank you for all the things that you've done. We begin to encourage you, even if you have ideas, memories of things that he's done, just begin to rehearse them to him right now. Begin to identify those good things that he's done in your life. And give him thanks. He is good. We give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks. We give you thanks, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Rehearse the good things. Rehearse the good things. Thank you, Jesus. There is such power in your gratitude, my friends. Power. (laughs) Because it's the testimony of the goodness of God. And it destroys thoughts that are stemmed in darkness. 
Thank you, Lord. And the peace of God that passes understanding shall guard your hearts and rule your minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we receive your peace. We thank you for your peace. Thank you that we walk in your peace. Thank you that we walk in a place of gratitude. That we, leave, we, we, we replace anxiety with gratitude and expectation of your goodness. Let's just stay in this place just for a moment. I believe that the Holy Spirit is, is at work. I just want to honor what he's doing. As we heard earlier, he's nailing some of us on the head. Identifying things and setting them right back into place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just thank him. Thank him for all that he's done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just feel like there's, there's perhaps somebody or maybe it's more than one person, but it's just kind of like a sense of my... It's like the gratitude... Um, the, the, the gratitude, uh, I almost see what, what, uh, like, like the things in a clock. What are those things that connect together and they spin? Gears, gears. gears yeah. It's like I feel like your gratitude gear is stuck. And, it's, and you're just having a heart. It's like you just don't even, ugh, can't, even can't even do it. And I'm, I'm just here saying, uh, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And I just feel like let's just pray for whoever that may be. Let's just extend our faith. I believe that there are lies that lodge themselves into our heart. The devil loves to insert lies about the goodness of God, the reality of... Feel specifically that things that have happened to us in the past, that we think God has done those things to us. Therefore, how can I thank this God when he did this to me? And in fact, he didn't do it to you. It's the evil in this world. And that God has a sovereign, redemptive plan to use that thing to deliver you, but he did not do it to you. And so, Lord, we pray, God, by your Holy Spirit, we pray for healing. We pray, God, for renewing of mind. Holy Spirit, uh, and we, in Jesus' name, we take authority over any lying spirit, over any work of darkness to bring uh, deception and to bring pain. And we spy you out right now and identify that the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And anything that brings stealing and death, we curse and command to loose your grip and the authority of the name of Jesus from the minds of the people of God. You have no place and you will not taunt your, the people of God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We command you to be silenced in the mind and in the heart of your people. 
And in Jesus' name, we, we thank You, Lord, for bringing the Spirit of truth. We recognize Your truth makes us free. And so we release, Holy Spirit, bring the truth. Renew the mind where there has been lies believed. Renew the mind to bring truth that would set your son or your daughter free. In Jesus' name. And now, Lord, we thank You. (laughs) We thank You. We 